Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I am joined as always by Nate Atkins. Uh, we are going to just straight up steal a page from Nate's book. Nate has already written this story uh, for the Indy Star. If you did not see it, he did a rookie report. Um, we're just kind of go through the draft class and and take a look at um, how those guys did, what their outlook is, really anything that pops into our heads. I apologize if my voice sounds a little bit off. Kind of lost it last week uh, trying to get it back. Um, almost there. We're almost there. Uh but uh, well, I'll try to power through. Most of you probably just want to hear Nate talk anyway, so we'll just let him do most of the talking. Um, How about that? Any, anyway, the the obvious place to – oh, wait, wait, wait. I did have one thing. I did have one thing before we get into the rookie report. Uh, this We're going to make this a bonus, a bonus, because Nate did – I saw Nate did dive into uh, the draft class a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. Well, you asked week. me last week if I watched the Senior Bowl, and I just said no. I did. So then I then I watched some more stuff from the Senior Bowl. I had to catch up. I I felt very exposed. So, yep, we're, we're catching up. So so I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you talk a little bit about the guys, uh, what what you saw to the Senior Bowl guys, uh, and I think it fits in this podcast because it's a rookie report. So this is the you're, you're trying to project who the rookies may be next year. What what did what did you see from the Senior Bowl guys? Yeah, so I just went through. Of course, we were not at the Senior Bowl this year, uh, so that's kind of why I came into it late. Uh, but just tried to look for guys that were were standing out by, you know, the different people who were there. A lot of a lot of national people listened to uh, people like Mel Kiper and, and Dane Brugler and, and all those types, and uh, plus plenty of the clips that go on the internet and, and tried to you know dive into some of their backgrounds too. So I think last week you mentioned Darius Robinson, uh, who who went to you know, our alma mater at Mizzou. And he's the guy that um, he's the edge rusher out of Missouri that ever basically everyone you would, you would talk to about the senior bowl says that he was the best player on the field, just kind of constant, constant pressure and constant wins in the run game. So Darius Robinson was, you know, a guy that, yeah, I think you've been on, on the train of, of, you know, they should look at a twitchy or a twitchier edge rusher in the first. And I kind of like that idea uh, he's one of those that's kind of interesting to figure out because he's really, really big. So it's it's hard to pin him as just like a twitchy type of player. He's 296 pounds listed, but he's 6'5", and he played defensive tackle for three years and then moved to end, and and that's when he's just sort of ascended to, you know, an, an all-SEC player and now a guy down in the senior bowl. So um, he's one of those guys that's like he keeps rising based on all this buzz, and I don't know if like 15 seems – probably high for a guy with one big year, but you know, we, we know what the Colts love to do, especially in the first round is trade back. So, uh, so that's a guy I think uh, can be on that radar. And then there's some other players that are sort of, sort of in that zone of, you know, not quite number 15 probably, but if they trade back or maybe, maybe if they were to fall into the second, uh, Quinion Mitchell, the cornerback out of uh, Toledo, it's another guy getting a lot, a lot of buzz. He's, basically made just a ton of plays in college, six picks and almost 40 pass breakups. But coming from the Mac, everyone wonders like, you know, how, how are you going to do against top competition? And everyone loved how he played at the senior bowl. It's just the confidence, the plays in the ball, the the ability to stay in phase and man coverage. Uh, So those are two guys I thought were kind of more the first round, maybe possibility, maybe trade back. And then there were some guys that, that seemed to be more like day two type of players that I think fit, what they're looking for a lot. Another twitchy edge rusher was 
Uh, Disa Isaac out of Penn State. Uh, he's, you know, we, Chop Robinson got more buzz out of Penn State, but Disa Isaac, you know, ended up having a really nice season, seven and a half sacks and 16 tackles for loss. And he is really slender. So he's like listed at 249 pounds. So that's why he's more of a day, probably day two guy. As he's, he's more your situational guy. But I think that's a guy that like when you think about who Quiddy Pay is and how dominant it is, he is against the run. But maybe not everything, you know, maybe there could be more juice, you know, on obvious pass downs. You know, that's a guy that I think you could kind of sprinkle into a pass rush that's pretty good. But uh, I, I think it's still something shy of, of the takeover unit that they want. And another sort of day two-ish guy looking like is Brendan Rice, the receiver out of USC, who uh, is not the most heralded son of a former NFL player in this class. That's Marvin Harrison Jr., but his dad was is Jerry Rice. So there's a lot, a lot of bloodlines and a lot of training there, and it's just like he he played so well physically and, and getting open at the Senior Bowl from the clips I saw that all of a sudden – it just looks like a guy who's kind of coming into his own. He had, he had, you know, more than 12, he had 12 touchdowns at USC this past year after transferring from Colorado. Uh, just seems like a guy who kind of was a slow starter in college, but, but he's really getting there. Uh, and he's, you know, he's got some size. He just fits a lot of what I think the Colts normally like to draft at that position. And it's a position that they at least need a fourth receiver, if not someone they can sort of rely on a little bit more as like, you know, they, just, they could use something a little bit more on the outside, I think, at the moment. And the last guy I threw in there was kind of a later guy, Isaiah Davis, the running back out of South Dakota State, who's just had back-to-back -back years of 1,400 yards and 15 touchdowns and, you know, small school running back. So, again, another guy where the senior bowl matters, having him go up against better competition. And uh, people just seem to really like how he, you know, the, just how his vision and uh, his power running the ball and, um, and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, with Zach Moss, if he, if he goes in free agency, you know, they, I, I think a mid-round running back, that's like one of those rookie spots they could pick and they could just sort of plug in there as, as maybe a number two runner. Um, playing with Anthony Richardson, it's a pretty – should be a pretty nice fit for a rookie who's who's talented. So those are a few of the guys that jumped out to me. Yeah, da Darius Robinson, um, I'm going to use this to just sort of like kind of do some like story time. The way people were talking about him last week reminded me a lot of when I was covering Auburn and uh, D Ford went to the senior bowl. And I think D Ford kind of went to the senior bowl as like a, like a second or third round prospect. I, I might be misremembering this. It's been, it's been more than a decade now. Um, but he just dominated the practices and basically every day dominated the practices. And I remember talking to Therese Paler, uh, the late Therese Paler, uh, he used to cover the Chiefs for the Kansas City Star and worked for worked for Yahoo. He was covering the Chiefs at the time. We were we were very friendly. Um, both of us had covered Mizzou in in similar times and knew each other through through that kind of stuff. And we were talking, and he was like, "This guy's going to get taken first round." Uh, and I was like, "Really?" I I guess you know I was as a college writer at the time. I didn't really you know understand the way somebody could jump up at the Senior Bowl. And he said, "Yeah." He said, uh, "He said you know we're we're two days into this and everyone's talking about him." And then of course the Chiefs ended up taking him. Um, Therese, Therese was so good at seeing that kind of stuff. Uh, but, but Robinson kind of had that kind of week last week where like, I felt like 50% of the stuff I saw coming out of the senior bowl was Darius Robinson content. Um, they all, well, either that or lad McConkey winning one-on-ones, which 
this is another senior bowl uh story um there was a another player who dominated one-on-ones and that probably unfairly bought makes me biased towards anyone who or against anybody who dominates the one-on-ones uh but his name was braxton miller <laughs> and uh I, I don't think this is like what was going on with lad mcconkey last week but like Braxton Miller was winning these one-on-ones where he would make like six cuts in one route. And it looked like he was shedding these guys really well because it's one-on-one and you've got all the time in the world. But then he got to the NFL and it turns out you can't make six cuts on one route (laughs) and get to the spot you need to be on time. And he never really turned into what people thought he was going to be. So there's, there's some senior bowl practice stuff kind of history that, that sticks out in my brain there with some of that stuff but robinson robinson is sort of fits like the way ballard has approached drafting a lot of defensive end defensive tackle types he's that that sort of between a defensive end and defensive tackle like dio would fit into this um taekwon lewis would fit into this uh Danico autry was a guy that they moved back and forth from tackle to end like ballard likes these type of guys I, i'm with you 15 seems a little high even with robinson rising up the board it just it just reminded me a lot of d ford where like everyone was talking about him it was very obvious what he was doing um i i uh i think the receiver position is sort of one that you know you brought up a good point like whatever you think of alec pierce right right now the way i kind of view alec pierce is he's your deep threat which he's the three he's a deep threat um I know he hasn't made a ton of plays. Like he doesn't have like seven touchdowns or something like that in the season. He's also really not played with a quarterback who can get in the football yet. Um, but you know, even if you like him a little more than most people, which I, I think I probably like Alec Pierce a little bit more than most people do. Um, and I say that not because I think he's a star, but because I think most of you um really, really, really are down on him. Um I I think like they they need another outside receiver in general just because somebody's got to be there to go in in case one of those guys get hurt. Like they got lucky last year. They got very lucky last year. Did the between well, Pittman and between Pittman and Pierce they missed one game, right? Yeah, they got lucky. Yeah, in that sense, but there was one game they did not have Pittman for, and their offense could not operate. They they could not operate in, in Atlanta. And they yeah, imagine if, he, imagine if he had missed five. <laughs> no. No, I mean, they – and they – not only do they not have an outside guy who can step in, they don't have at this moment any na- – name me a fourth receiver on this team. I can't. That you'd not on an the obvious field. one. Yeah. So, like, they had Isaiah McKenzie, who was, like, an option in the slot and obviously moved not on. Not a good one. Him, so. Not a good one. I want to keep one either. So – um, so I think it's yeah it's it's a spot they have to go to in either free agency or the draft. Um, just kind of depends. There's some a lot of free agents I think are actually decent fits too. It's just do those guys want like they're picking their destination. Do you have enough of a role for them uh, to pick here? You bring up an issue about the Senior Bowl where like it's sometimes you have that situation where they react too much to a Senior Bowl. Like Braxton Miller had never he played one year as a wide receiver in college and then the Senior Bowl got him all the way to the third round and then you learn that he's not really that. Uh, but I've also seen the reverse where like sometimes people didn't react maybe enough to what they saw in the senior bowl. The other guy that, that pops up like that is Terry McLaurin, 
who was cooking everybody yeah. at the senior bowl and had all these great measurable, uh, had all these great like uh, athleticism, a little bit, maybe a little bit slender and didn't have the college production. And he went in the third round. And now Terry McLaurin is like, you know, he's, he's, he's a cop I use for Michael Pittman because he's like that, that number one, regardless of the quarterback he has. So yeah, sometimes got sometimes it, it shoots some way up the draft board. Sometimes it it doesn't always do that. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, the Senior Bowl. The reason it mat- I mean the reason you have a you keep an eye on it, especially with the Colts, is that Chris Ballard just loves Senior Bowl guys. He loves seeing them in that setting and the practices and um, seeing their competitive. We know he loves traits that are kind of beyond just what you see on film. Those sort of competitive traits, the personality traits. Um, so they always, they always draft guys for the senior bowl and, uh, it's, it can be hard to figure out exactly which ones, but usually we get to draft day and like they, they make, you know, three plus picks and you're like, oh yeah, that's a senior bowl guy. And that's, it's not that hard to see in the end. Yeah. Um, it's probably worth it if you have the time to just kind of go familiarize yourself with the rosters and, and kind of look through, um, I've, I've was meant to do some of that this week and look through like what people were saying from and it's kind of been a an oddly busy week we have uh jim ursay um just gonna bring this up really fast you know uh it's tweeted that he's on the men first time his account has tweeted since january 8th which is the day before they released that he was dealing with a, a severe respiratory illness just really good news um really good news to, to hear that he's on the men and hear from him in general uh i i think I think that, you know, that's one of those um, things that's been kind of hanging over the offseason. I think a lot of Colts fans have been paying attention to it. Um, you know, we hadn't seen him. At least I I, I don't believe I'd seen him since um, December 16th against the Steelers. Um, yeah. And and obviously, you know, he, he'd been dealing with with illness. So that's that's a good that's some good news. They've, they've filled out some of the spots on the staff. Charlie Partridge is interesting. Um, looking forward to kind of talking to the to Gus Bradley and Charlie Partridge about how that came together. Um, I think the other hires are, I mean, all all of the assistant coaches matter. I don't know that like they're these are big earth shattering. They're going to change the way things happen. Moves Charlie Partridge could be that though. Um, so yeah, I mean, Alex Tanney is kind of interesting just because. You know, it's quarterback role. He's pass game coordinator now, and obviously everything's about developing Anthony Richardson. But it's just like it's hard to know at this point, kind of how much of a role he'll have because all of a sudden they have a lot of uh, coaches for Anthony. And obviously, Shane is is very front and center with the quarterbacks. Jim Bob Cooter is the offense coordinator, who's uh, he came up as a quarterbacks coach was uh, was once a quarterbacks coach for Peyton Manning, and they've got Cam Turner as a quarterbacks coach too. So. Uh, they're kind of adding another guy to that mix. I have a feeling that usually when that's, uh, you know, they were cognizant to not have too, too, too much, too many voices in Anthony's ear. So it's sometimes additions like that are more like guys you think can bring good ideas to the, uh, to the room, to the, to the meetings each week. Uh, that's sort of, so pass game coordinator. It's sort of like, I don't know. It's, it's sort of a, it's a little bit of a glorified title, I think, because Jim Bob Cooter is so much, He's so heavily involved in the pass game, and obviously Shane Steichen is. Uh, but, but yeah, it's another it's it's another voice for Anthony. It's just interesting they went to, you know, they didn't have to add an offensive coach, and they chose to. And I, I think that's probably just to to add a little bit more of that sort of um, 
ideas to the room and, and, and make sure that they're constantly evolving week to week. Um, yeah, but that's that's pretty much it. There will be a Hall of Fame announcement. We are taping this on Thursday. Again, I needed a, normally we do it on Wednesday. I needed a day to get my voice to the point where it would make it through a podcast. Um, but uh, the Hall of Fame announcement is tonight. Dwight Freeney and Reggie Wayne are up for it. Um, I think both are deserving. You know, we'll, we can talk about that more next week or mention it more next week. Let's let's get into the rookie report, and this, we're going to start with the one that's going to take the longest. <laughs> um, very obviously going to take the longest. Uh, but Anthony Richardson, the number four pick of the draft, the highest player, the highest quarterback the Colts have taken, highest player the Colts have taken since they took Andrew Luck. Uh, I mean, it, I, I don't know. This this conversation could go a couple different ways because I, I feel like we've talked so much about Richardson that there's not a lot we can add at this point other than what we saw on the, uh, I'll give the I'll give the short rundown, and then I, I want to see where you take it. But like, what we saw from Richardson was better than I think most people expected right away. Uh, there wasn't enough of it. It was only 173 snaps. He got hurt, and uh, that is a concern going forward. Now, your level of concern, what you predict of it, I think if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that you and I are not going to have any predictions on you know, whether or not this means that he's always going to be in this spot or not. Uh, I, I think that I, I do think though, that it's, it's worth it to wonder, um, not wonder it's, it's worth it to ask the question of, you know, is this something, are injuries going to be something that is going to be too much a part of his story? That's, that's fair at this point. The hard part with that is there's no answer to that question. Uh, at least none, none definitive. That's not just you coming up with your own thoughts, you know? Um, like for instance, I think most people I've seen online, if you don't like Richardson, you assume he's always going to be hurt. Uh, if you did like Richardson before you assume he's never going to be hurt again. Um, there's no answer. We don't have an answer and we can't have an answer at this point. Um, but yeah, what we saw was better than we expected. I think there's a lot of hopes that, if he can play a significant amount of the snaps next year, that he changes the offense significantly. Yeah, I think that um, that's the two different conversations with him is like what what you saw out of his ceiling and what how much you're afraid of that floor of just not potentially not being available out there. And I, there's, I think on the on the injury stuff, there's there's arguments you can make both ways as to how concerned should you be at this point? It's just so, there's so little data to really know. Like, I think if you're concerned for his durability, it's the fact that he's, he's had one, one long season of play uh, since high school. And that was his uh, last year at Florida. And he had had injuries the year before that and the year after that. And, you know, and what you watched this year was him have some kind of injury concern in like three of the four games. Uh, I think the the flip side of that uh, is sort of I, I think it gets overblown pretty quickly because in that entire span he had one major injury, one long term injury, which is the one that knocked him out this year, and it was the uh, the, the separated or the the sprained AC joint, and it's also terrible timing that that happened in his fourth game. You know, if that happens in his next to last game, you know we did we don't feel it the same way. It's sort of like we always feel injuries differently based on the time of year they happen and what games fall in that span. 
Julian, Julian Blackman once tore an ACL and didn't miss any games from it, but that doesn't mean he didn't tear the ACL, you know, like, uh, so it's, you know, with, with, with Anthony, Anthony Richardson, I think it has gone a little far because, um, because it has been one injury and it's, you know, my understanding of him from, from college and the profile I did down there was, uh, Dan Mullen kind of exaggerated a lot of the injury concerns with him in the conversation of why he wasn't playing. So I think it gets misconstrued that that's why he wasn't on the field more at Florida when that's, you know, like the one to cover, time. like to cover Mullen's decision-making. Yeah, essentially. I mean, he talks about how every time we put him out there, he gets hurt. Um, and, and I just know Anthony Richardson's people did not appreciate that. It did not agree that that was the reasoning. Uh, so almost like Mullen was like Mullen was being asked, why isn't Richardson on the field? He didn't have a, he didn't want to say whatever his real answer was. Yep. And so he made up the injury stuff. Yeah. I mean, his reasoning was one was injuries and the other was he doesn't see the game. Right. Um, so it was, you know, it was, I don't know. It was a weird, weird, weird end of the Dan Mullen era. And he, he wasn't, uh, there's was a, there's the idea that he was sort of, you know, Anthony Richardson was the local product. It was sort of an easier recruit for them to get. Um, and he was trying to keep Emory Jones, the quarterback above him on campus. It's sort of like, so, so it's like you can play him because you have the local hometown kid uh, in your back pocket, and they kind of banked on him not transferring. And so it was just a – I think Florida failed Anthony a lot of different ways, and that was one of them was uh, that sort of finding reasons not to put him on the field to play a lesser talented quarterback. And, and we know for sure Emory Jones is less talented. I think that's pretty easy to say. Um, so Anthony, I think this year showed – he showed that a lot of the Florida – you know, we, we spent so much time nitpicking – a lot of stuff from Florida. The, the amount of time he started, the the you know the accuracy was was like fifty three percent completions. Uh, you know he went went six and seven, and I think this year showed both if you followed Florida and if you watched Anthony Richardson that uh, that this kid has a lot more to him than than what his college career amounted to. Uh, there's he he and, and Chris Ballard pointed this out because. We didn't have proof of it yet because of the Florida thing. So you were taking a leap on it. But he showed this year that he can he can throw the ball. He was better than like this, what you would assume for a quarterback that had 53% completion percentage. He was not erratic. He wasn't, uh, you know, there were he he wasn't perfect there, but like he was able to hit a lot of uh a lot of the basic throws. They they started him in this offense that was very dialed in on sort of or you know, quick first reads and and drop back passing, sort of what what they would end up doing with Gardner Minshew, and Anthony held that pretty well, handled that pretty well. The thing that they kind of left out of that was was they they didn't tap into enough of the downfield throws early on in the season. They finally started doing it when they got down uh, twenty three points against the Rams, and that ended up being Anthony's big big game. Uh, we hit like that thirty eight yarder down the field at Alec Pierce. He hit a thirty five yarder. Uh, sidearm throw for a touchdown to Mo Ali Cox, and I, you know, that everyone in the building talked about how that was their moment of like they, they really believe in this kid's not only his talent but his ability to do it at the NFL level. And I think it was going to open up a lot of how they were going to call plays from then on out once they saw he was ready and to to handle that part of it. And the very next game is when he gets hurt. Uh, pretty early in that game. So we just never got to see that next level. So there's still a bet to be made on it. You can't act like one game against the Rams, or really it was like maybe two or three quarters, you know, once they got down by a ton. Can't act like that solidified him as something. But it is one of those where, like, 
it's it's an interesting contrast of the first time we saw him in Lucas Oil was when he lit up the combine, ran a four four three forty, hundred twenty nine inch broad jump, like set these records for a quarterback. But it's like, you know, can you put this into an NFL context? In the last full game we saw of him in Lucas Oil Stadium, it was all there: the rushing, the uh, the, the downfield throws, the scrambles out of pressure, and uh, all the things that you hope to see were in that Rams game, and so that's the kind of hope going forward is can you make that one game last for 15 plus? And I think what gets misconstrued with the injury conversation is that it becomes an all or nothing thing where it's like either he's people have up in their minds, he's either going to play, like you said, he's either going to play 17 games or like two. And the, the likelihood if he's pretty durable is that he's going to play maybe 15 games. Like that's kind of Jalen hurts. Jalen hurts has missed a game here or there. Lamar Jackson has had seasons where he misses, you know, four or so games, but ends up playing, you know, including the playoffs, like 13 of them. You know, these guys who are going to run at the levels that that you want to let Anthony run to tap into all that athleticism, there is some wear and tear. There is some occasional risk of the occasional missed game. I think what they, you know, the bigger conversation is like, can you avoid the the AC joint sprain type injury? And can you avoid it being every single week there's something to deal with that makes – his availability in question, that's kind of what they have to figure out going forward. But I, you know, I think, I think you should prepare to, and the way they seem to be thinking is we want to use this full athleticism for him. And there is going to be a little bit of risk in that it may cost him a game or two. And that's why I think they should still invest in the backup quarterback. But um, I think the worst thing they could do is try and just neuter those, those Supreme athletic gifts, because I think the Rams game showed us that like, that dude can be an alien when he taps into that level. And I think what the playoffs showed us in the AFC is you don't really have a great chance if you don't have a guy with alien traits. Yeah. Uh, to your point, just to kind of give the numbers on, Jalen Hurts played 17 games this year for the first time in his career. He missed two the two years prior. He was banged up, though, while he was playing that. Um, was it a shoulder this year? Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, Lamar Jackson uh, played a full season this year, but the two previous he missed five games in each of those. Uh, the game, the season before that, he missed a game. Um, he's had two. He's never played a full season, but two of those seasons are because the Ravens were so good that they didn't play the last game. Um, but uh, yeah, that I think I think those are good examples. I, I'm gonna. This might be maybe my spiciest take of the. Um, of the pod. So we'll just get it out of the way. Now, here's the thing about the Anthony Richardson injury debate. It doesn't really matter right now. And what I, what I mean when I say that is at this point, a year into his career, the Colts are not going, or I'd be surprised if the Colts are going to make any kind of decision away from Richardson or for Richardson long term. Like you 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 don't have, you can't sign him to an extension until after his third year. So there's nothing to you don't have to make a decision on whether or not he's available going forward until then. Uh you drafted him with the fourth pick and liked what you saw from him last year. So you're not bringing in another first round quarterback. Not that they're really in position draft wise to do that, but you're not going to be trying to replace him already. Like we're going to find out whether or not he's injury prone and that lead to that like 
whether he is or whether he's not or whether he's missing a ton of games that will will play into those decisions going forward they they're just not here yet so if you're talking about the 2024 Colts which most people are are only talking about the 2024 Colts it doesn't really matter it, it it's kind of just a wait and see and I know no one wants to wait and see but nothing nothing to me changes for this team um on how they how they're making moves or making decisions or anything going for Shane Sykin is still building the offense around Richardson. I, I just think it's kind of a pointless discussion a little bit. And, and I'm going to say that, and then I'm going to be asked about this now for the next six months and I'm going to have to have opinions on it or whatever, but realistically for where they are right now, it does not matter if, if he doesn't play next season or if he gets hurt and has a season ending injury next season, then maybe we have to have a discussion about, you know, do they bring in another quarterback uh, who has a chance to start? But that's after next season. That's the earliest that 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 this injury question could affect the direction of the franchise. I think so, based on what they've seen of him so far. So, in in, a, in one sense, it's a lot of wasted breath, really, and a lot of wasted uh, keystrokes on X. Yeah, I mean, I think the only way that it's going, like the the only action they can take as far as the injuries is thinking through a little bit of how that plays into the design of their offense. But I think it's only a little bit like it's, I think the way that they are, they are presenting this is that, and he's presented this too, is that they're going to emphasize some of the areas where he can help himself out. You know, the, the example they've given that was a learning moment for him was uh, when he, when he had the brain injury against the Texans, cause he, he could have run a little bit faster to just get into the end zone. That's one of those, like always run hard through the, through the, through the stripe. They, they talked about sliding and he started to show that in that Rams game sliding a little bit more once you are out in the, the open field and it's not like third down uh, stepping out of bounds. Like there's, there's little things like that, that they're going to drill with him. Um, and maybe that's where they added an extra quarterback coach. Maybe there's a little bit more emphasis on some of those areas with him. But other than that, I don't, I don't think it even, you know, changes much. I still think they're going to run him plenty. I mean, the fact that they got Jonathan Taylor, this is the other thing too, is that he played, I think one snap with Jonathan Taylor, maybe two. And ideally like Jonathan Taylor to me, the reason, the the big reason I thought they should sign him or one of the reasons is that he takes hits off of Anthony Richardson. So you can kind of create this dynamic backfield where defenses have to account for the possibility of Anthony keeping the ball but a lot of plays, you know, they're, they're going to force the ball away from him or that's going to be the natural read. It's going to go to Jonathan Taylor. And they'll get a benefit from Anthony's threat as a runner, and it's going to go in the hands of Jonathan Taylor, who has that ability to turn what could be a 12-yard run into a 35-yard touchdown and drives early, keep him out of the red zone. Then you don't have to necessarily send Anthony Richardson flying into the teeth of the defense, you know, inside, you know, the two-yard line. There's 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 moments like that that I think are you know it's it's moves that they that's a move they already made um, they but yeah there's not a lot that they're there's not a lot they're going to do other than emphasize certain mechanics and and hope it works you know I think the one thing that the the one action they could have around Anthony is not about his uh, injury concerns it's about kind of the upside and what he showed as a passer I think that could lead them to be a little bit more it should lead them, I think, to be more aggressive this offseason with the cap space that they have and thinking about this team as like, this needs to be a playoff team next year. 
that that's that that should be the baseline expectation after they went nine and eight with very little Anthony um, and they've got, you know, enough money to go out there and do some things. They can bring in more players. Uh, they, so it isn't like last season, the last off season, they, they treaded water and they went with, as we'll talk about them, like all these rookie cornerbacks, they were not, if you really look at how they handled that off season, they were not looking at that season as like Anthony Richards is going to lead us to the playoffs. This season, they are going to look at that. And if, if he gets hurt, that maybe, maybe that's why they fall short, but that's, they're not going to, I don't think they're going to live in those fears that way though. They're going to look at it as um, this guy who showed those electric traits when he was out there on the field um, is going to come back to a team that won nine games mostly without him and it's go time. And it's time to kind of give him and the offense and the team and the secondary, the pieces to take that next step. And hopefully the, like, the goal for next season outside of keeping him healthy is like get him playoff experience, let him have his moment like CJ Stroud had this year of two playoff starts to start kind of building this and moving it forward uh, because ultimately you want the, the dream is to eventually strike while a guy's on his rookie deal. And he's got three more years of that before a fifth year option. And so this year can be one of those, like they may not go out and win the Super Bowl, but they need to get to the playoffs, get that experience for them and, um, and really get it rolling. Yeah. I, 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 uh, like I said, probably my hottest take. I just, I just think that in terms of, like the big picture, it, you're just you're just firing off draft takes essentially, of what guys are going to be. Um, I, I do think you have a good point there with like, well, how does it does it change anything with the offense? How does he protect himself? That might be the, the the question for this season. But the the bigger picture, like, does this change the franchise? Should they be looking for somebody else? That stuff we're we're years away from that. Yeah, and I would just like I don't want to necessarily tell fans how to fan, but. I think it's weird. Like, it's, there's so many times when I've written something on Anthony or tweeted something recently, and the response is like, "Well, none of it matters if he doesn't stay healthy." That is true for every single player. <laughs> right. So, like, you can tweet that at every player that I tweet about say that back to me, and I guess you can maintain consistency. But I, I just think that's a weird way to kind of approach this. It's worth bringing up. It's worth kind of you know, looking out for as, as they go forward and seeing what their offense looks like and seeing some of the mechanics, some of the really finer details. But I mean, if you just want to sit here and say, well, nothing matters if he doesn't stay healthy, that's not only true for Anthony, that's true for the whole franchise. If he doesn't stay healthy, they're not going to be a Super Bowl contender, but like, there's no way, like, there's nothing, there's no way for us to know that. And, and I don't think, I think it's just a weird, it's just a weird conversation, weird kind of, uh, dismissal of everything to to keep bringing that up in the off season when it's like this is what's hard for Anthony is he he's very aware of this narrative and I think he's um, based on getting to know him I, I don't he doesn't like that narrative and he shouldn't but but he can't answer that right now that's what's been hard for him is he's not only not playing he's not able to go out there and address the thing that people say he can't do whereas when it was about you know the fifty three percent completion rate I don't think that ever bothered him. Because to him, that's like, okay, let's go, let's go answer that. Let's go get better at it. Let's go prove people wrong. When he can't get on the field, he's not able to do that yet. But the reality is that as of right now, I think this is right around the time when he's supposed to be throwing again. He's he's on track to uh, you know, be be totally fine by the spring. And uh, it's just one of those scenarios with the injuries. Look, can we just cross that bridge when it gets here? Like I, I just uh, it's just very weird to talk about like, well, like you could literally on every player on this rookie list, we could say, well, Will Mallory doesn't matter if Anthony Richardson doesn't stay healthy. 
Like I, right. We right. can end this podcast in six minutes if you'd like, and I could just say that for every pick if that's what we want to do. Um, um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I think that that's I a good way to look at it. Is just, yeah, it it could be a problem, and it's worth mentioning. Yes, it could be a problem, but trying to come up with an answer or really, really worrying about it. Like it, we're in a wait and see spot with him. And I know, I know no one likes wait and see spots, but that's, that's where we're at with Anthony Richardson. Let's let's, we're going to move on now to, to another player who's got the same concerns. <laughs> um, the same, the same concerns apply to Juju Brents, the team's second round pick, obviously a local kid, a starter this year when he was in the lineup, I do want to put a, a, a tiny bit of a caveat. Because obviously, if you draft somebody with a second round pick, you're, you're expecting them to be a starter. But the, there is a caveat to him being a starter as a rookie, just the fact that he didn't really have to beat out any veterans. Um, he, he generally played solid football. or, or They didn't play in the first two weeks. Oh, that's true. Uh, that's right. You know, was, he missed practice time. It's a, that's a big part of it. But they did seem like they wanted to see what they got out of Dallas Flowers and Daryl Baker Jr. before they moved on to the guy that they knew would be here for a few years. So, well, I mean, and a lot of that, start, but and a lot of that was the injury too. Like he he did not practice very much at all um, until until he got to the regular season. Yeah. I mean, it really, to me, it underscored just how much last year was about let's evaluate our roster and see kind of what our building blocks are for the future, because it was kind of weird. It was just weird in the moment when they were in Houston and they were starting Daryl Baker jr. And that was not going well. That was the game. CJ went for 380 yards and got a little dicey in the second half. And it was like the next week was like, they got to play Juju. And then they did. And then he had kind of a nice game uh, in Baltimore to help them win. But it was sort of like they they did it because they felt like, you know, not they weren't treat at that moment they weren't treating every game like we got to win this to get to the playoffs. That that mentality kicked in late in the season because they overachieved from what they thought they'd be. Baker, uh, to me, I, I mean, unfortunate, but what, a guy that they really kind of counted on to be a, a starting caliber corner and just really wasn't. Um, Brent's has to stay healthy. Like, and I think Chris ba- didn't did Chris Ballard say that? Yeah. That was um, that was the only thing he had to say about Juju was um other than we know he's a talented player, but like he avail he said availability is the most important thing. He's gotta find a way to be on the field. And I'll say I talked to Juju after the last game of the season where he got hurt again. Like that was that that just kind of summed up a frustrating rookie season for for him is that he's the local kid all this hype about, you know, starting for the Colts at a premium position. He didn't get the first game of the season there. You know, when fans were, you know, everyone in his life is excited to go see him play. He was a healthy scratch in that home opener against the Jaguars. And then the last game of the season when he's back and he he has a chance to, you know, be one of the guys to go stop CJ Stroud and get this team to the playoffs. And he gets hurt again and leaves that game and, and had to kind of spend it from the locker room. So, uh, he was he was certainly fr- he's he's frustrated by all that, but he didn't shy away from this. He he knows he has to figure out something in his his training process and his recovery um, to 
handle this differently. But but he seemed pretty confident that he would because I think he had one other year where they got maligned for injury in college that ended up being a redshirt year. But in the years where he's been playing on the field, this was the only one that's like he's had injuries and in games that kept him out. So and it was a lot of them. So it was like they have to they absolutely have to figure that out. It's it's weird because he he's a little similar to Anthony to me in this way. And and I'd even throw Jelani Woods in here. These guys, these young players who are almost like too athletic for their body. Uh, like it hasn't grown up yet. Like Juju, if you watch, if you like see him walk by, you're like, my God, that guy is tall. But like he hasn't filled out the frame yet. And that can that can happen. That's how it felt sometimes with, with Jelani and Anthony. And so I think some guys go through this when they're younger, trying to figure out uh the transition to the game to the pro game and and surviving for 17 games is different than what they've dealt with before. Uh, but Juju, it was so many different uh injuries that piled up that uh yeah, it's 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 the same level of concern to me as Anthony Richardson. Um his his as a player, his rookie season, uh kind of up and down. Uh he obviously in the first game he played against the Ravens, he had that huge force fumble. I know Ballard referenced that. Um, he plays pretty physically, which I think Ballard loves out of his corners. Um, there, there were some coverage issues. There, there were some coverage issues as well. Um, some, some mistakes. Uh, Sports Info Solutions. Uh, some co- all coverage data is a little bit tough. Has him for uh, giving up a ninety-two point six rating and nine yards per attempt. If you take out the seventy-five yarder uh, on the first play of the Texans game, I. I that those come down a little bit. I think it's like 85 for the rating. Uh, the yards per attempt come down significantly um, more into like the seven and a half range. Uh, but in that play, I think I'm guessing that play is there in there on, on him. Uh, it's probably more on Nick cross or at least half of it's on Nick cross um, for not being deep, but you know, I, I think there were so many stops and starts. It's hard to, it's hard to know. Like, you pencil in a second round pick as a starter going forward. I like Brent's. I, I think I think my my look at the corner position is just they need more options. And oh, yeah. and I wouldn't classify anyone as a surefire lock at this point as a starter going forward. Um of the guys they have signed, because Kenny Moore is a free agent as we as we're talking right now. So like Jalen Jones was decent as a seventh rounder as a rookie. I we've seen that like you need to do that more than a more than one year. Um to to be penciled in as like a, a sure thing starter going forward. We'll get to Jones later. Um Brents is in there, he's got the injury concerns. Flowers is coming off of a, a torn Achilles tendon. Like there's there's just enough. Hey, what if what if this doesn't go right? That that they they need to add, a, I think maybe two more guys there to compete with, like for starting caliber stuff, uh, you know, just because that's that's the NFL. Not everything goes exactly the way you way you, ho- way you hope it would. Yeah, I've been thinking about this with Juju because I'm currently working on like this thing I do each off season on like a ten part plan of something, a way that the Colts off season could end up looking. And I think like it would make a lot of sense for them to go out and draft either draft high or sign a starting outside corner even if they were to like Jalen Jones who we'll get to but like you need depth behind Juju Brents right now with this injury concern I mean I think you can talk yourself into 
the play quite a bit where you're right. It was up and down. Like that's kind of how young corners play. But I think more of the downs were uh, at least like that 75 yarder. You can address that by getting better safety play. Like he is Juju's a specific type of player where he's six, three, super physical. He's meant to play in that uh, press man or, or short areas he's going to get exposed down the field if he has to cover in that way. So it's more kind of the way you design your defense, some of the players you have around him at safety and in the nickel spot. Uh, but I think for what they want him to be, if they were to put him in more of those positions, uh, I, I think you could talk yourself into how he played in terms of just the the physicality, his tackle. He, he was a really good tackler. Uh, he was not afraid to go uh, you know, body guys up across the middle. He did that to Mark Andrews. Um, he forced, you know, forced a fumble in that Ravens game. He picked off Trevor Lawrence. So there's playmaking, both ball production and just in the run game and, and breaking up passes. It's just it, there's going to be flaws down the field uh, that they have to address in other ways. But it's that injury concern is that even if even if the, the rosiest outcome you could take of him as a player, if he's not out there right now, like if they were to go into next season and they lost Juju Brents, and you've got a second-year, seventh-round player in Jalen Jones, and then Dallas Flowers coming off the Achilles tear, like, that may end your season early. Like that, That's that problematic at, at a premium position. So, uh, yeah, I think Juju, you have to approach is like, he, he'll, he'll be the starter going into next year, and he has a chance to have a really nice career. But I think you've got to have other guys you feel playable – behind him who are not just that starter on the other side. I think they need they need to add it at minimum one guy that can start uh this offseason. Uh now we're gonna move on to maybe the easiest and most projectable pick from last year. Uh Josh Downs was good. He's you know what's funny is he's the opposite <laughs> of the last two is that of their first three picks, two of them had huge injury concerns, and the guy who played 17 games is the guy who's 5'9", and the league said was too small for this league. Uh, yep. Which is kind of fun. Yeah, uh, and I, I think I might have seen Zach Hicks say this elsewhere, um, but like that last year was a draft full of very small receivers, and people were very worried about it. And a lot of those very small receivers were very productive. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, but Josh, Josh Downs numbers, 68 catches, 771 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, yeah, that'll play as a slot. Um, 11.3 yards per reception, did a little bit of stuff downfield. Again, anything downfield is, is compromised by who the quarterback was. It, I, I struggle to find anything to say here about Josh Downs other than he's a good fit for this offense. He's a good fit in the role they have him in. It's a good piece to have going forward. And uh, uh, granted, there was a little bit of a rookie wall, kind of a knee injury, some stuff where he kind of fell off for a little bit there. I, I think that's expected with a rookie. And he still had 68 catches. So, um Yeah. I, this this one's quick for me. Josh Downs is a good piece. I, I have few concerns about him going forward. I, I he's 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 the starting slot, like the the opposite of kind of what I just said about Brent's, like being sure you can count on him. Josh Downs is your starting slot receiver. Oh yeah. Um, going forward. 
yeah, there's there's nobody they're going to bring in to compete for that spot or split that spot. If anything, it's just a guy who can play there if you have an injury. But Josh has played 17 games, and you mentioned he had that he had a knee issue that flared up in right when he got here, like rookie minicamp that he had to kind of manage the whole season. And, you know, he ended up just gutting it out to play against the Panthers and the Patriots, but he made 17, you know, he, he started all 17 games. So like that was 788 snaps and his 68 catches are the most by any Colts rookie receiver ever past Bill Brooks and a guy named Reggie Wayne, who's now his coach. Like he's what you want to be able to say about a rookie is that after a year you're just like, yep, looks like looks like a very solid starter. I have zero questions about him. Um, like he, if you think back to what his draft profile was, if you got around, if you felt like there was a fit for a player that size, there really weren't any questions about him as a like beyond that in terms of his football IQ, his hands, his his ability to separate his. Uh, his work ethic, his, you know, his character, all that stuff. He checked every single box like that. The only kind of knock on him for, as a rookie was there was a bit of that rookie wall once he had those two games compromised against the Panthers and Patriots. And then his production kind of got cut in half from that first eight games of the season to the second half. It went from 59 yards per game in the first eight to 33 yards a game in the past nine. The knee injury was only a small part of that, though, I think. I think a lot of that was the league realizing this is a dude. Like, we got to start caring about this rookie in the slot. And I think teams were able to do that a little easier with him specifically where he's lined up on the field because there was not much to worry about at tight end for the Colts. I think the way that teams deployed deployed their safeties on a lot of those, those plays made it harder for him to – do some of those option routes and, and get it open across the middle of the field. They started to use him a little bit more on the perimeter uh, as a way to counter that. And that just, yeah, it's a little less of his game. Uh, but again, that's like everything else is like, it's they'll, they'll get more out of Josh Downs by just, you know, you improve the tight end position a little bit. And then you go to a quarterback in Anthony Richardson, who he was building a nice connection with dating back to when they first threw in a parking lot, that rookie minicamp. And, while it's different than Gardner, while he, like he's, I was like the downs pick for Anthony because like he's going to bring out more of that uh, or test more of that uh, kind of short area ball placement. Like he's he's does not have the catch radius to adjust to the same way that that uh, that like Alec Pierce and, and Michael Pittman Jr. can. Although I think he his ability to lay out and, and catch so surely helps him out with that. Um, so he's going to kind of bring out more of that consistency from Anthony Richardson. But we also saw like he can get down the field, and he, he I think he can tap into some of Anthony's arm strength. And when they continue to build that connection to where Anthony can scramble when a play breaks down, some of those scramble drills, I think he and Josh can create something really nice, kind of like Josh did with uh, Gardner Minshew in, in in Germany when they had that he had that big third down catch on a kind of a broken play. So, I mean, I think I think Josh Downs has had this entire class is the one guy you look at and you're like I. Couldn't couldn't be more confident in like what he's going to be, both abilities uh, and the lack of concerns. Really, I don't really have any concerns about him. Uh, just to underscore our earlier point about wide receiver, uh, so last year, Alec Pierce played one thousand eighty four snaps. Michael Pittman Jr. played eight hundred eighty two. That was 
most of those missed snaps are the concussion. Uh, and Josh Downs played 788 snaps. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna play a little guessing game here in the middle of the podcast. Who had the next most snaps, Nate? And and give me a, a ballpark number for how many. I'm gonna go Jawan Winfrey, and I'm gonna. It is a low number. Uh, I don't know. 125. Ooh, better. Really, really, really good on your number. DJ Montgomery had a hundred and played 124 snaps. And huh. and just, just you have to take that a little bit with a grain of salt because he played 103 snaps in the games that Michael Pittman Jr. was dealing with a concussion. Yeah. They could use a fourth receiver regardless of what you think of any of the top three. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Juwan Winfrey, incidentally, played 21 snaps. Basically, they played. Honestly, if they had not had Josh in the final month of the season, I mean, they would have been moving Michael Pittman Jr. into the slot because Isaiah McKenzie wasn't around. And right. so, really, like, they, Josh was kind of a hero to work through that knee injury and be there for those big games, I think. Isaiah McKenzie took 53 of his 117 snaps for the season. In the two games that Downs was was dealing with an injury, like they played three receivers, and it's like, well, they'll just play three receivers again. Yeah, well, those three receivers they played missed a grand total of one game. What if they don't? Yeah, that's a um, point. that in general, I just as a side point, I think the receivers are the position group that did not get as much credit as they should have as a whole this past season. I, mean, I think everyone understood Michael Pittman Jr. had a very nice year. But, like, I think both that durability and just the – I thought the ways they adjusted all season long, like, there would be so in-and-out games for the run game where it would – sometimes it was really good, sometimes it was completely nothing. They're onto a backup quarterback. The only way that, you know, they didn't have any consistency at tight end. Outside of that offensive line that was was very, very good, I think those receivers are the reason, you know, that for this team to finish 11th in scoring, given what happened with Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor is – Shocking, really. And and Jelani Woods, you throw those three playmakers in there that they basically got very or not a lot out of overall. Uh, yeah, those receivers were pretty heroic and they shouldn't be taken. But, but to your point, you can't just roll in next year and be like, OK, those three guys will just play 99 percent of the snaps. They, like, they got to have a fourth one. Uh these the now that we're through the top three picks, we'll probably start going a little faster, but. Blake Freeland actually played a ton of snaps last year. The fourth round pick out of BYU um, played 702 snaps. Started most of his game. Most of the most of his starts were at, at right tackle. He had a few at left tackle. Um, he was not a. Oh, I got to find the right comp here. Chaz Green level disaster. Uh, Julian Davenport level disaster. He needs to be better. Um, but it, but the, the the other the other difference here though is he's a rookie. And with Sports Info Solutions has him giving up six sacks. He's a rookie who has a chance to get better. Whereas those other guys we were talking about were veterans, fairly deep into their careers. I, Blake Freeland gives you an opportunity 
to have like an actual swing tackle going forward, which they have, we've been talking about that position. I feel like here for a long time in Indy, and um, regardless of how he played as a rookie, I think the fact that they were able to operate while he was in there, they had some good games while he was in there. Now, did he struggle in those games? Yes, but they are able to continue to operate with him in there. We've seen what we've seen them play when they could not with with tackles, um, and the fact that he's probably going to get better and stronger. You feel good about like at least you have a young swing tackle to develop. Yeah, I think it was similar in some ways to Bernard Ryman's rookie year where he got thrown into the fire a little bit earlier than you would hope. And uh, for for Ryman, it was like kind of – he was supposed to have a redshirt year and was kind of thrown in there. Blake Freeland was a guy they drafted a little bit more to be a little more ready to step in, but having to do it on both sides kind of interchangeably and as much as he had to play on the right side uh, was a lot more than you wanted. Uh, that It was just not the year – for availability for Braden Smith that, that you normally uh, normally hope for. So, you know, Blake, I, you know, his, his struggles were, were rookie struggles. He had like four false starts. Um, that's something we saw at a rhyme in those, you know, you're, you're, you get so nervous to give up a sack uh, that you, you, you're trying to get out there early and just do anything to keep miles Garrett from wrecking your quarterback. So some penalties happen sometimes and those, those pass rushers feast on, those type of players, they can kind of read it in them. So the fact that he had to go up against like Miles Garrett and Josh Allen, like that was not, you know, it, it's one of those situations that kind of, it hurt in the moment. His play as a rookie was less than you would hope for out of that position. Cause you were obviously you were expecting him brain Smith, but ideally it builds something a little bit more for the future. We saw that with Ryman where this year he seemed a lot more confident and ready and, you know, in prepared just from a kind of mental and confidence levels. And then he got to add in about 15 pounds of muscle that he built in the off season. That's kind of, I think the hope for Blake Freeland in a way is that he can go out there. He definitely has to get stronger and has to uh, add bulk to his frame uh, to, you know, if he can handle, if he can anchor a little better, handle those, uh, those, those power rushes. Uh, yeah. I think he can, he could become a swing tackle. The, the one thing I'm glad we moved off of though is the conversation that they should move off of Braden Smith. Uh, Blake Freeland's not that guy right now. There, there's no argument to be made for that. I think, I think it says, I think it's complimentary enough to say that he could be your swing tackle. Like he's a fourth round pick who's going into his second year and played a lot as a rookie, you know, not, you know, he played like a fourth round rookie tackle, which is, you know, most more struggles than not. Uh, but He's going to be in a better spot if next year they go into it saying, hey, you're our swing tackle. You've got experience doing it now. Let's add some bulk and let's refine the technique and let's let's get you even a little bit better for those moments where you have to step in. Yeah. Uh, the Braden Smith stuff, like, I don't even want to get into it. it <laughs> if you don't, if you're not up against the cap, here's the short version. If you're not up against the cap, and a player is still good when they play, you still play them. You don't just dump them because they miss seven games. Like that you're you're saving money for nothing, essentially. To me, Braden Smith was like the offensive version of Grover Stewart, where it was like there was an opening for them to miss games. And so it's like, okay, is there a guy behind him who can be a lot cheaper who steps in and is just as good? Instead, we learned no, <laughs> we like these guys even more when they're not out there because we miss them. And Braden Smith coming back and against how he played against, 
he kind of saved Blake, I think, and by coming back and, and taking on that challenge against Max Crosby. Uh, yeah, Braden Smith's still incredibly important. And so we know who the two starting tackles are. Blake can be your swing tackle, and that's important. It's an important role that they, as you point out, sometimes they've not had anything close to a swing tackle. You need it in this league. So it's still a, still a pretty key piece to have right now. Uh, Etamiwa Adabare, if if he can be strong enough to do more of, well, really, I I think that there's a chance that after his rookie season, this fourth round pick, he could maybe play Taven Bryan's role or something close to it in the defense next year. Um, they played him a lot at three technique. Bryan played, well, he played 343 snaps. It's more than I would have thought. Um, Adabare played 132. Uh. They liked what they saw of him as a pass rusher. They wanted to be a little stronger against the run. I I think there's a possibility that it works out. Um, you know where where you're looking at because uh, Brian. I I just don't think you need, necessarily need to bring him back. I don't think he added that much to the pass rush. If Adabare takes the next step, I think he kind of fills in that role on the on the defensive line. I think the hope when they drafted him was like, can you develop another future Taekwon Lewis type who can play inside and outside? And it was going to take a little time to build the technique for teaching two positions to a guy essentially. And then he's got to get stronger too. We saw that lack of, he had kind of Blake Freeland's issue in a defensive line version where the run game was was sort of where he'd fall off. The numbers, I mean, it's small sample size. He only played 19% of the defensive snaps, but he had four tackles and he missed uh, three tackles, according to Sports Info Solution. But he also had 1.5 sacks and four quarterback hits in a very limited amount of time. So there's a, a few plays that flashed that made you think, like, you know, this, there's that natural athleticism and that ability to get after the passer. They got to add uh, some of the strength and the bulk to him to be able to not just be that. Um, and that's where it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how he handles. You know, he had one defensive line coach last year and has a new one this year, and uh, we'll see how much more they can get out of him. But yeah, he's kind of I guess it's still some kind of similar to Blake Freeland in, in this sense to me is that he needs to be in a spot next year to prove more of that. You know, prove more of the bulk that you've added and let us see that show up in your play as a guy who's not starting. Um, and luckily for him, you know, if they, if they bring Grover back, they obviously have two really, really good players up front and, you know, but, but, you know, you can always lose guys too. So he's, he could be an important depth piece come next season. Daniel Scott, fifth round pick, uh, got hurt really fast. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think, I think the Colts the, the Colts really liked the way he recovered. Like Chris Ballard made it a point to talk about Scott in his in his postseason press conference. Without him playing, we don't have a lot to say beyond what his draft profile was, other than the team liked what they saw of him in a uh in terms of how he recovered, how he approached the NFL. Which you kind of expect he was an older guy anyway. But you know, I, I would say don't write Daniel Scott off just because he had a season ending injury as a rookie that that would be the way I would put as somebody who might contribute to this team down the road. Yeah. I think if you're looking for any kind of silver lining to a very unfortunate situation where his entire, he didn't get training camp, didn't get any of that. It all got wiped out because of an ACL tear is that 
the ACL tear happened in like June. And so he should be, you know, he should be able to have that off season again this next year. And they liked how he locked in just kind of showing up every day, locking in mentally, you know, you hope he learned and absorbed from a guy like Julian Blackman um, to just be a little bit further along, but he is essentially a rookie. I think the one thing that's interesting with him is he's got a skill set that's very, very built for special teams. And he was a guy that was supposed to, you know, they had holes there as we saw on uh, some of their coverage units and whatnot, especially in the punt team that I think they, they would like to have had him out there this year. If it works out the way I think it will, or, or it's trending to where um, if Nick Cross is now a starting free safety, he was a guy that they ramped up his special teams a ton this year you're going to have a little bit of a void if you're going to play him a lot on that. So maybe Daniel Scott can kind of, he could be the next safety to slide into that like heavy special teams role, but he's, he's a rookie again next year and has to prove everything over again. So he's, he's hard to even think of as a backup safety until he shows it. We just haven't seen it on the field, but he is a guy that I think if he's healthy based on his skill set, based on their needs, uh, special teams should be the place for him. Here's a fun one. Will Mallory. Will Mal the tight end position is is kind of confusing. I know a lot of people want Blake Bowers. I, I don't disagree with that. I do Blake Bowers is really good. Um Kylan Granson, I believe, is heading into the last year of his rookie deal, correct? That's correct. Uh, uh Granson has Granson has done some nice things while he's been here. I don't think he's done anything where you'd have to re-sign him. I think the presence of Mallory and Mallory catching 18 passes for 207 yards kind of gives you a an obvious successor at that spot. Um the other thing about Will Mallory that I keep thinking is there was every reason for Will Mallory to not to kind of have to redshirt his rookie year and to not do very much. He kind of had Juju Brents's sort of pre-run-up to the season where he was out of the lineup a lot, didn't have much offseason, got hurt, dealt with some stuff once he came back. Um, and a lot of times fifth-round picks in that situation, especially at crowded positions, end up not really producing that much. Uh, he became a player for them. And I think that that's probably a good sign for him going forward. It's just he only played 159 snaps. They found the way. They found a way to get him the ball, um, and he was inactive in five games early in the season. Like I, I just think that what he was able to do, given the 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 the, the, the wins working against him, bodes well for Mal. Not not necessarily Will Mallory as like a difference making. You know, I don't. I, I don't think we saw anything that makes you think that like we're talking about like a top line tight end. Like, or no, there's no. You're not going to hear any. Well, they've got Will Mallory, so they don't need to draft Brock Bowers. Um, but but this is a, this is a guy who can be a player for them going forward. Yeah, I I was pretty impressed with Will Mallory. I know the coaches were too because it felt like there was a flip there second half of the year. It it, it came organically because Drew Ogletree got hurt against the Panthers and then didn't make the trip uh, against the Patriots. That's when Will started to play a lot more. But the final seven games, he had 14 catches. Uh, that may not sound like a lot, but if that were to be, you know, you, you double that production, if he played 14 games and had 28 catches, that's more than Jelani Woods had as a rookie. So, you know, Will Mallory was a guy that when he was, he, he is, they kind of know what he, or they, they feel very confident in him as a, 
relative to a rookie for a as, as like a pass catcher because when he was up, they would use him. Like whenever he would get into the game, it felt like there was a design for him. He was very much a part of uh, the route structure, and he averaged eight yards a target, which is not easy for a rookie playing with a backup quarterback. Again, small sample size, only 18 catches, but uh, he he does look like a guy who you know, he comes from a long – you know, a, a big football family. He's had a lot of training throughout his life. He 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 seemed to get the mental side of of being a rookie tight end better than a lot of players. Like that is a very hard transition to make. You know, the downside or more concerns for him are other stuff we've said about rookies. He's a little slender. He needs to he needs to add some bulk. He's he's not a guy that uh, fits a lot of the run designs as of right now. But if there's you know that that Kylan Granson type of role is. You know, it's not designed so much to be that. So I think they are set up to where and Will Mallory does. Ever since they drafted him, I kind of thought the the clock was ticking on Kylan Granson just based on the type of tight end they were. And that's how Will Mallory looked this year. Uh, I think what he could add next year is maybe maybe be a little bit more of the run game, a little more capable in the run game if he can get stronger and add the technique and some of that. Uh, but, yeah, he's a – He's a move tight end, and I feel like Shane Steichen, especially, you know, when he when he reads man coverage, and he is a guy like that, and, and uh, especially if they bring him out and they can force teams into base and do that. Uh, Will Mallory could be a, a nice little chess piece going forward. Another piece that that people probably kind of forgot kind of fits in this same category. Evan Hall, um, there's a spot for a pass catching running back in this offense. Tyler Goodson was playing it in the second half of the season and obviously on on the fourth down that I don't really want to get into because we've already been on the podcast for an hour. Um, <laughs> but uh, if uh, ACL, well, his wasn't an ACL, was it? Um, I don't think it was an ACL. I kind of forget what his injury was. I think it, it was a knee, but I think it was other stuff. But either Either way, if he comes back, he showed some stuff as a pass catcher. I think there's a spot in this offense for that. Um, and and they probably still like him there. You know, Goodson played... Meniscus tear. Meniscus tear. Um, yeah, so there's there's some... There, there's there's good reason to believe he'll be back healthy for the, for the start of the season. Um, Goodson played 50 snaps there uh, in the last six games six dish games there's 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 at the very least there's some some pass catching snaps some receiving back snaps that Shane Steichen would like to exploit Uh, that's probably why they drafted Hull in the first place it's another guy who he only played eight snaps as a rookie before he got hurt this this is another this is another guy who you look at as okay he got hurt you forgot about him there's there's a spot for him to slide back in now anytime a player gets hurt there's probably gonna be some competition but you know, there's a spot for him to slide into in this offense, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's like Daniel Scott, where he essentially lost his rookie season outside of eight snaps. Uh, the one thing I think is a little different is that I at least saw enough out of him in training camp. This was when you know Jonathan Taylor was you know, not practicing and Zach Moss had the forearm injury. So we got to see more of Evan Hull in training camp and the preseason – and you had to like what you saw as a pass protector. And a lot of pass protection for running backs is, you know, it's effort and it's 
some technique. It's it's he he seemed to just have that. He has that attitude, uh, and that that was kind of why they liked him coming out of college. And so that's that's going to get him some snaps if he can rebound from the injury and he can show those same skills. Like that will get you on the field. That's a way to spell, you know, Jonathan Taylor and whoever else they have on snaps where you want to you want to throw the ball i mean there's question we don't know what he can be as a runner that was some of uh you know he's another guy that had to had to get bigger and all that uh all that type of stuff and he lost a lot of time from that just the, the strength development i think was the unfortunate thing with a pretty bad meniscus injury he was on crutches for a lot of the fall uh but you know i think he he at least has that baseline of pass protection and then uh he he's, he seems like a guy that, that's probably going to slot into that uh, that that number three running back spot once he gets healthy. Uh, there's two guys here that we can kind of put together, um, and so I'm going to edit our little banner that we have for the people who are watching us and not. Uh, we 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 do have an option to watch us now on YouTube. We have a recording. Um, but they, they play the same position. So Titus Leo was a six round pick. Isaiah land was an undrafted free agent that the Colts claimed on waivers from the, uh, Cowboys right before the start of the season. Both were rookies. Leo did not end up playing land played 31 snaps. He did record a sack. I have talked a lot about already on this podcast, and I'm going to annoy everyone by talking about it more. If there is a, my my sort of desire for a, a twitchy young edge rusher who can maybe turn into sort of the top line front line guy that everybody wants, um, I, I still still want that guy. I'm not suggesting that one of these guys could be it. Isaiah Lane got one sack um, and six tackles in his 31 snaps. I. I do think, though, that as much as Jake Martin played, Jake Martin played 16.2% of the snaps. He played 190 snaps for this defense. Um, got a couple of sacks himself. I think that there is a role available for one of these guys if they can grow into it. Now, guys who are undrafted and guys who are six-round picks, they have a, especially as pass rushers, they have a long way to go. Um, but there's there's a role in the defense that these guys can can kind of compete for and probably compete with somebody else for, um, and so that there's there's a path to the roster again for them, and they're probably going to be going against each other next year. Yeah, uh, you know, they're guys that were drafted to be develop or Titus Leo was drafted and Isaiah Lane signed to be purely developmental. So that's what Leo's entire season was. He's a guy who came from a tiny school in Wagner. And he played a bunch of different positions and only very late realized that or, or that his coaches realized that defensive ends where he should play. And Colts kind of liked enough of what they saw to give him the chance to keep doing that. So I think he's he's sort of your developmental future backup, uh, backup, you know, wide nine type rusher where he could eventually come in for a few snaps in, in those alignments. That's that's more where his natural athleticism can shine. Um I guess the good thing for him is that, like, the way that they develop these guys, so the guys who are on the practice squad, you know, most of their job is to imitate the opposing defense. And so that's – it's a little less 
it's more like helping them practice and get ready, less maybe developing on your own. But Shane Sykin does have this competition portion of practice, the final eight to 10 snaps of every practice where the guys on the practice squad get to run their offensive and defensive schemes. So Titus Leo got a lot of weeks of doing that uh, where he had to be that Leo edge rusher. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not a lot of, a lot of development, but it's something combined with kind of what he was doing in the, of the strength program, he, you know, compared to Daniel Scott and Evan Hull, who lost all that time because both the practices and the uh, the weight room stuff because they were injured. I think Titus Leo, you would hope that, you know, behind the scenes that this worked out for him to to add some strength, to add some uh, development in those practice settings, and next year compete for kind of one of those backup situational rusher type roles. Same thing with Isaiah Land. Um, we've been going in draft picks, so we're going to stick with that. This will be the last long one we have. Jalen Jones. Jalen Jones started a bunch of games, played some really good football. Um, for a seventh-round pick to produce the way he did is pretty remarkable. Played 787 snaps on defense. Uh, Sports Info Solutions has him for giving up 55.3 completion percentage, only 5.9 yards per attempt. There were a couple of games, especially in the back end of the season, that I thought he struggled. Um, and, you know, earlier in this podcast, I kind of said, like, I, he, I'm not ready to, to say he's a definitive long-term starter yet. That doesn't mean that there's not something to build on there. Um, definitely a surprise and... Uh, a needed player, especially with what happened with Darius Rush and them getting rid of him and him kind of bouncing around the league. Getting getting a player like that in the seventh round is a coup for the roster because you didn't have to give up a lot of assets to find somebody who can, like even if he ends up in a depth role, Jalen Jones can start. We've seen him start um, for a team that almost made the playoffs and play. He like he he did not play Daryl Baker Jr. style of football is is I guess the best way to put it. Um, so while there were some bad games, especially late, I thought he struggled some. You know, this, this is a guy that, that really, at a position they desperately needed it because of what we kind of talked about with the Brent situation, it gives them another person in the mix to see what could happen going forward. Yeah, I think he got, you, they got about as much as they could realistically hope for out of a seventh-round pick. They did not, when they drafted him, they did not expect him to hit the ground running as well as he did. He showed that physicality in training camp right away. He seemed to be a natural fit for the way they like to play on the outside, and that was the reason they said they let uh, another guy we did not talk about go, which was their fifth-round pick, Darius Rush. Uh, they they moved on from him because they thought Jalen Jones was better, and it looked as far as those, that comparison, those two guys, it looked like they made the right decision because Jalen Jones – he played 787 snaps. It's kind of crazy for a seventh-round rookie to do that for a team that was, like, right in the mix. And, um, you know, and there's ups and downs like rookies have. You know, he had – he allowed, according to Sports Info Solution, only 55% completion. That's that's pretty darn good. Um, he did allow four touchdowns, and he also had eight broken tackles or, or missed tackles. So I do think we saw some of that in the run game, uh, some – just. He's got the skill set. He's really physical, but just learning run fits and technique and, and being as dialed in on all these plays. Uh, the season got long. There's a little bit of a rookie wall, I thought, to him as well uh, that happens with a lot of guys. But he certainly looks like a playable 
uh, at least like a, you know, he could be your kind of number three outside corner. Um, it's possible he's more develops into more than that. Um, he had like, he had the thing with him is he has the natural ability. He was a five-star prospect coming out of high school. He's got, you know, he's one of those you know, relative athletic score guys that they love. It just, it didn't all work at Texas A&M. And then they tapped more into it last season. Uh, as far as like, if next year, if they're looking at that as a team, as I think they should, as a playoff team, that's still a gamble to take at an outside corner spot when you have the concerns of uh, Juju Brents, who you're going to start, but you don't know if he's going to – how much he's going to play. I think what might make sense for them is to look at Jalen Jones more as the backup to Juju Brents in the third corner, backup to both spots, really. Uh, I think that would put him in a little better position and – Based on how you handle that other outside spot, if it's a veteran on maybe a shorter-term deal, it's still a window where Jalen can develop into being a more full-time outside starter. Uh, but he's a guy that he he's – yeah, he, I think you'd feel good having him in your top three or four corner outside position guys. I just – the thing I would pump the brakes on is, is just looking at what he did last season saying, we're totally set at outside corner uh, at our starting spots because we, we brought the concerns with Juju – I think there's still enough concerns in Jalen Jones's play and just his experience level that uh, that you shouldn't you shouldn't overrate it. So you could be happy. I mean, certainly feels like a big hit in the seventh round, uh, but you know there, there should be there should be some limitations to that too. Last two guys, these should go pretty quick. We do not know much about Jake Witt. He's a he was a developmental pick at the time. Um, got hurt quickly. We just don't know much about Jake. He, he kind of goes into the pool of developmental offensive linemen that they always have going. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have a ton to add here because we just didn't see a lot. Yeah, there's there's not a lot. I mean, he's he was a guy that is kind of like Titus Leo, was a small school player they drafted on crazy measurables, but is new to a position. You know, he'd only spent two years as an offensive tackle total. So this was like a Bernard Ryman swing, like, on steroids from a guy from Northern Michigan that hadn't done that on the field yet. And he lost that. A hip injury is, is not a fun thing for an offensive tackle, but I mean, he has that body. So it's just like you roll it back into next year. And he's another guy that you hope you hope between, you know, the, the spring moments and into the training camp that he, maybe he shows enough to, he's probably still headed for like a practice squad spot because he needed that full year of development that he just didn't get because of the injury. Uh, but and he was a guy that they were just so intrigued on by his workout that Chris Ballard said they drafted him just on that, that they didn't even want to mess around with the UDFA stuff. They just spent one of their bazillion picks on him. So if he could show some more of that, you know, this spring and summer, you know, he could be a guy that continue to, to look at for just purely developmental reasons. The last rookie to look at, Amir Speed, uh, brought in midseason, very clearly developmental as a corner super long levers um tall guy fast guy only played two snaps defensively did play some on special teams there was one game in particular i can't remember which one it was that he looked good as a gunner as a potential gunner on special teams um this this is a guy that they that they pretty clearly picked up hoping that he can be a part of the mix going forward after probably having an off season to develop like with it they cornerback it was like a disaster situation like they they weren't they didn't put necessarily pick him up to play last year um it's it's kind of a wait and see piece i do think the special team stuff helps him 
um, if he can continue to tap into that because he has good he has good measurables and everything um, in terms of a roster spot. But whether or not he fa- factors into the cornerback position, we we just don't know. We only saw two snaps. We that's all we saw of him all season. Yeah, it's interesting. He played sixty eight percent of their special team snaps once he got there. Uh, that's a lot. So they they like the physical traits of him. That's kind of what he got drafted on in the sixth round by the Patriots. He's six three. Uh, so, you know, he, he is athletically built like they like on the outside at corner, but they clearly had no faith in playing him there. It didn't seem to work out there with New England because they, they cut a, a draft pick um, just a few games into his rookie year. But there was enough on special teams seeing that that skill set play out. I think it was the Falcons game that uh, that he was he was pretty good as a gunner and downed a punt very nicely inside the inside the 10. So. It's interesting because, like, they when they had J, when Jalen Jones made this team, they really wanted to start him as a gunner. They, they their hope was they would get enough at the other outside corner spots, and Jalen Jones had that skill set to be a really good gunner. Uh, when they lost uh, uh, Ashton Doolin, and then Jalen Jones had to play a lot on cornerback, uh, and so the mere speed became his replacement at that gunner spot. So if you flip it forward to this next year, Jalen Jones, you assume is one of your top three guys on on defense playing probably a good amount at outside corner, if not starting, you know, Muir speed could be a guy that's, that's right back in that gunner spot um, possibly, although they are getting, they are getting dueling back. And so, um, so who knows? He, he maybe, he maybe ends up being a guy that was, was here for a moment and not long-term, but uh, I do think he showed a little bit on special teams to, to carve out a role there. I just, I don't know. I don't know if he'll ever, become anything on at cornerback because we just haven't really seen it. I haven't, I haven't been factoring him into conversations about the outside corners because there just wasn't anything to go on so far. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that, one of the things to always remember here is that Chris Ballard believes that you get guys in and they develop on special teams by playing, they get special spatial awareness and then they help defense down the road. That might be the Amir speed plan. Uh, as we see it right now, that's that's our rookie report. It's a long podcast because there are a lot of draft picks. I think the way I would sum up the rookie the rookie class for 2024 for the Colts is there's there's some pieces here, um, kind of all the way through that could be uh, depth pieces, could be some good picks. It could turn into a good draft, uh, but <laughs> the caveat is it all depends on that fourth pick. It really does. Yeah, and. Uh... Yes, we should throw it out there. Does it? None of it's going to matter if he doesn't stay healthy. So that's true for him, and that's true for every pick on here. But honestly, that's kind of true. It's got, like their their top two picks are this are the same thing, <laughs> like in their own way. Premium position, uh, really awesome build, like a, a rare athlete uh, who made some really great plays and have some injury concerns, and like ultimately, whether whether if those first two picks hit. They really hit. This team is is going really far uh, with those two guys. If they don't, then probably no amount of Josh Downs or Will Mallory or Blake Freeland are going to save the class. So that's just kind of how these things are always weighted. Uh, but I think the good thing is that they got enough. Uh, you spin forward to next year, you at least have between Jalen Jones, Will Mallory, Blake Freeland, Josh Downs, Juju and Anthony. That's a lot of guys who should factor into a team that you're – hoping is in the playoff mix and possibly more. So that's kind of what you at least hope for out of a draft class. 
that's what we've got for the Colts Cover 2 podcast. Longer longer edition than normal. We'll be back next week uh, with, with another topic. Been fairly quiet on the offseason front. Uh, again, good good to hear from Jim Mercer. Good to hear he's he's on the mend. Uh, and uh, enjoy the Super Bowl. Have a good weekend for the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. You guys have a, have a good one.